Let's pray together. God, we come to you today just praising your name for who you are. And Lord, you are good. You are so much better than we could ever define. And Lord, you are here. You allow us to come and worship you. So Lord, we praise you for that. Help us to not take that for granted, that the God of all of the universe, the God of the Bible, is here today. And Lord, I pray that as we encounter you, that it changes our lives and brings you glory. And Father, we just come before you and give all worship to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated, guys. It is so good to be here. We welcome you to Abundant Hope. We welcome all those who are perhaps watching on the internet right now. I want you to hear the psalmist in Psalm 66. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. And then he continues a little later, Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. This God that the psalmist was, was shouting about is here, and we have an opportunity to worship him today. And so as we gather, as we join our hearts together, this is what we are here for and so we are praising God for that. I want to make a couple of announcements. One, two to four today is the, the Karis Bridal Shower. If you are a chica, you're invited. If you are a guy, you are welcome that you're not. <clears throat> and so y'all have a blast. I am going to not be here. But also, a couple other things. One, we now have officially a website, AbundantHopeBaptist.org. And so search, we need the hits. If you Google it, you're not going to find it. That's how bad we need the hits. Google don't even know we exist yet. So, but also in the, the technological end, we need volunteers. We need volunteers to help with sound, run cameras, and other things that I have no idea what are and don't understand. Brian Saunders, our worship leader, is in charge of all of that. If you want to volunteer, see him, and he will hook you up, point you in the right direction. And so keep that in mind. We need help. Even like next Sunday, we need help. So Keep that in mind. If God is prodding you in that direction, be the, the quote from Isaiah 6 from Sunday school today, here am I, send me, right? <clears throat> help out. It would be a great help. I want us to, to take an offering. This is an opportunity for us to give to God's kingdom work. If you've been here long at all, you know that this is not our opportunity to tip God or pay God off, or if we give enough, he'll do good things for us. 
That is not why we take an offering. We take an offering because simply he's worthy. We follow his example in giving as he gave his everything to us. And so if I can get some guys to man these baskets, we're going to pray and then we're going to take an offering. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we... We're just in awe of what you do for us. The fact that you care about a people who are sinful at heart. When given any opportunity to run, man, we run. And yet you love us. And God, we thank you for that. And Lord, from where we are right now in our, in our lives, we just cry out to you. Lord, move us. Save us, love us, lead us. And Lord, you give us, us an opportunity to give. Help us to give cheerfully and abundantly to you. Not because you are indebted to us or, or are needy. But Lord, you have given us this opportunity to join with you to build your kingdom for your glory. So allow us to do that and Help us to be wise in the way we spend every penny that's given today, that it would be for your sake. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. He is a good God, isn't he? When we read in Scripture, if you have hung in there in the Old Testament... We are at a time where the Israelites are experiencing a time that is not good, but it never once changed that God is good. And the same is true with us. I, <clears throat> I can't help, but when I do the, the studying and I read through the Old Testament, I can't help but to continue placing us where the Israelites are as a country. They, of course, went back and forth in their obedience to God, and God would punish them to bring them back and then bless them, and they would run off again, and God would warn them, and, and the saga seemed to continue but the more I read of where we are in the minor prophets, when God's telling them it's on the doorstep, I can't help but to hear this warning to us. I can't help but to apply these same words just to erase the name of the Israelites and put in our own country. And... Am I saying that God has told me like God has told these prophets that it's coming at a certain date, a certain time? No. But I know that, that God is a holy God. We are a sinful people, and we are running from him. And based on history, based on God's character, we will not run forever. So we come to Haggai. 
I don't know how much time you have spent in your life in the book Haggai, but just to help you out, we're also going to look at Zechariah as well. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Zechariah is substantially longer. Christ, our priest and king, this is the Old Testament. But you'll see, we're getting there. Next week, we'll be in Malachi, and that is it for the Old Testament. We'll be turning our our minds, shifting gears to the New Testament in a couple weeks. And so, I thank you for holding on. You have stood in there through some, some dry and tough times in the Old Testament. But as we work our way through the entire book, I'm hoping that this pulls it together. This pulls together VBS stories, Sunday school stories, things that you've read on your own and different Bible studies. My aim here is to pull it all together and help us to think from beginning to end what God's purpose is and why we have this book and what it has to do with us. And so... We come to this place where, contextually speaking, God has judged his people for their sin. They've earned it. They deserved it. They deserved a lot more than they got, just like we do. But in Haggai, the... What's going on here is, remember Babylon took over. Babylon and they were just, they took them out and they did it quickly. They took, remember Babylon and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of those guys and and a lot of others are gone to Babylon. Well, God told them that that would be for 70 years. Remember last week we were talking about that, the 70 years? Well, Haggai, he picks up after that 70-year time frame. And what happens is, as crazy as it seems, Babylon is a strong country. They are, they're pretty wicked in their practices, but when they take over another country they did it in quick order it didn't take much effort and so as strong as they are it's kind of surprising that only 70 years later Persia takes over Babylon 70 years a lot can happen in 70 years so King Cyrus of Persia he sets them free. He tells them, if you want to go back to Israel, go back to Israel. Interestingly, about 50,000 of them do. So try to, to think about their situation. They're taken over 70 years and so they've settled as much as you're going to settle in Babylon and you know, life happens, and you have children and grandchildren, and 
you know, people died 70 years. So think about it, 70 years ago, if that were us today, how many of us would remember 70 years ago? You know, not a whole lot, not a whole lot. There are, there's a handful that would even remember it happening. Even if it happened the day of your birth that you wouldn't remember, think about it, you'd have to be 5 or 10, right? So you would be 75, 80 years old to even have remembered it at all. And now you get to go back. Now, 50,000 did go back to rebuild, but compare this to the estimated 3 million who entered into the promised land before. <clears throat> so, this is just a very small percentage. And we don't know how many stayed behind in Babylon, but we know that 50,000 or so came back. And, and what's going on here, when they came back, of course, they're their city's been in ruins, 70 years. Even if you found a house that was 70 years vacant, even if nobody tried to tear it down, it's probably going to need some work, right? It would probably not pass inspection. And so they rushed in, they came in and were grateful to come back to their homeland. And so they began to go back to their, the houses, the land of their ancestry, and they were working hard to redo, fix up, and DIY their homes. And, and so there they are, but there's an issue. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 1. I want to read chapter 1 to you, which is pretty funny because reading chapter 1 means I read half the book. Listen to, <coughs> listen to the word of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give their careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your feel. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, 
on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltil, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Let's pray together. God, as we read this text that so many have never even heard of the guy who penned the words. Lord, help us to see in this your word. Help us to see what this means to us, to our country, to our day. Help us to see that the same God speaking to them speaks to us. And Lord, all of this for your glory today, as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we have in Haggai restoration for God's people in Jerusalem. It took 70 years for God to, to pour out his wrath, for him to get <clears throat> their attention. And so I want to look in the time that we have together at the word to God's people, the temple among God's people, and the leaders of God's people. And, and so just from Haggai, so the word to God's people, it's real simple. The word to God's people was repent of sin. And again, keep in the back of your minds, <clears throat> God's word for this people, God's word for this country where we are. And I think about this as I was reading, I believe it's September 26th, Franklin Graham is leading a time of prayer and repentance in Washington, D.C. And I just think of this text as I think about what our country needs. Repent of sin. The thing that God told them, so true today, repent of sin in the fear of God, you know, because we fear God. And I believe that this is something that's missing in this country. There is little fear of God as the belief of God dwindles, fear of him fades. But I believe that as we repent of sin, we do so in the fear of God, but also because of the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God, we repent because He in us helps us to see our disgusting sin and calls us away from it. And so this fear of God calls us obedience to God. Kind of like the fear of the wrath of my dad calls me to obey the things that he told me to do, right? I don't know if your family was as weird as mine, but 
we had rules, especially in the summer. There were six of us kids, and so we gardened, and so it was our responsibility. My dad told us that I am going to can green beans when I get home. And so the five or six kids, whichever were home at the time, <clears throat> our job was to do green beans all day long. And my dad would come home, and he had two pressure canners, and so that was 14 quarts at a time. My dad would start canning. And if he ever caught up with us, we were in trouble. And so we would have bushels and bushels and bushels of green beans, and we would snap, and oh my goodness, hated it, hated it. All day, all day during the summer, that's what we did. And so he would get home at 5.30, we'd eat 6.30, he is doing beans, and he would do beans until 11, 11.30 at night, and we were, we were concerned we were concerned because there were times where we were playing during the day more than we should have been, and we were not doing beans like we should. And if there's still beans in the bushel baskets and he runs out of beans to can at night, we knew about it. And the fear of those consequences made us do beans all day a little stronger than we wanted to. And I see the same thing with God that... <clears throat> We fear him. We fear him. It calls us to obey him. And, and so the, the word to God's people, repent of sin. Secondly was renew your strength. It had been 15 years. They had come back to the land. They were working on their own houses and getting everything right with their own house. But the temple still was in ruins. And so he wanted them to renew their strength for the building of God's temple. He said, basically, <coughs> catch your breath. It's time to get busy building the temple. And so it's interesting, this, the temple in the Old Testament. It was certainly more than a building. It represented and even contained the presence of God at certain times through the Old Testament. And I mean, the temple among God's people in that day, it was the picture of God's presence. And the the very picture of God's presence is being ignored, right? So the temple, that important, <clears throat> that for them disobeying God's rules sent them to Babylon for 70 years, and they're back for 15 years, and they still haven't redone the temple. But their houses are looking pretty spiffy. And so... The people were, were isolated from God because they had turned their backs on his temple. And so this, the temple is a picture of God's presence. It's a picture of God's promises. It's, it's a picture of God's peace. And delaying renovation of the temple was decaying their relationship 
with God. And so God's just sitting there, getting their attention, and he tells them, listen up. Do you get it? I mean, have you noticed that you're hungry? Have you noticed that you're thirsty? Have you noticed that you work your tail off but never seem to have enough? Have you noticed that the weather is stinking it up? Have you noticed that the crops keep failing? Have you noticed this? Well, let me tell you why these things are happening. It's me. I'm doing it because you are living in your renovated houses and my temple is in ruins. Have you even noticed something's wrong here? There is not peace right now because the people were impure before God. The temple is also a picture of God's purpose. You know, the, this temple was a declaration to the nations of God's glory. When other nations looked on this building, they saw the presence of God, they saw the purpose of God, and it's not the same today, it's very different. Though I fear there are still churches, when they build, they believe that they are building a place for the presence of God. And that they are trying to advertise God's glory by building a beautiful building. They have missed out on the New Testament part of the story. And so you have the word to God's people, the temple among God's people, and then the leaders of God's people. The leaders of God's people, Joshua, not the Joshua of earlier in the Old Testament. This is Joshua, the high priest. <clears throat> he is head of the sacrificial system. He is the one that leads the other priest to to take the sacrifices of the people and kill them and do what needs to be done, where <clears throat> blood needs to be sprinkled, where it needs to be done, and, and all of these stuff. He is the leader of this. He is the one that one time a year goes into the Holy of Holies, dressed up in his, his cute robe with bells on it and all of that stuff. He is responsible for the cleanliness of God's people. Cleanliness as in holiness, not if their armpits stank, look at him, right? It's not that kind of, of cleanliness. So Joshua, the high priest, and it's interesting here because <clears throat> in the in their lives before Babylon, 70 years before, they had, a, they had a, a high priest and they had a king. Here they have Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor slash king, kind of-ish, because they are under Persian rule, so Cyrus is the king. But Zerubbabel is kind of the one that leads Israel to not 
make Cyrus mad because if Cyrus needs to, he will step in, flex his muscles, and show that he is the ruler. So you have here Joshua and Zerubbabel, <coughs> high priest and king. And so he's, he's referenced as the governor, but interestingly... 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 17, 18, 19, he is in the line of David. Governors aren't listed in the line of David. Kings are. He's listed in the kingly line of David. So interesting. So he's the governor acting kind of, sort of, as king in the line of King Jesus responsible for the construction of God's temple. Now, this is important. Think back through how this, the original temple was built. Who built the king? The priest? Mm -mm. <coughs> the one who built the temple, remember King David wanted to, and then King Solomon did. It was the king's responsibility to build the temple. Even before that, Moses, when they did, even in the wilderness, when they set up the initial in the, when it was built out of tinted material and then picked up and moved every time they wandered, that was their leader, that was Moses. <clears throat> and so, that is interesting because Kings built God's temple. That's going to come to to mean something in a little bit here. Pointing us to something greater than a building, right? As we look forward. But then we turn our our attention to <coughs> sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the books that is quoted so much in the New Testament. In fact, when you read through Zechariah, when you do your reading, <clears throat> you will recognize Zechariah more from what you remember in the New Testament when it's quoted. Because few people read through Zechariah, but it is quoted often in the New Testament. So, in Zechariah, it's, it's one of the most messianic Old Testament books. And it's, it's a little interesting. Listen, I want to read <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 3, and it's on page 1403 in my Bible. <clears throat> That's right. So, I guess the best way to find it is find Matthew and take a left and go two books or so. And you'll find Zechariah chapter 3. And you will hear where Joshua the high priest, you'll hear his name again. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. 
Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? <clears throat> now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch, capital B, branch, See the stone I have set in front of you, Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day, head scratcher. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. The Bible can be weird sometimes, can it? Hard to understand. <clears throat> but keep in mind here, we're still hundreds of years before Jesus in a manger. And we see him advertised, predicted all over the place in the Old Testament, including Zechariah, when we see that, that basically God shuts Satan up and he speaks to Joshua. And he speaks to him about what's to come. He speaks to him about, basically, sin will be atoned for, forgiven, on one day. In a single day. <clears throat> now, Joshua, high priest, his job has been to, to kill these animals, sprinkle their blood for the atonement of sin... And he's done this his whole life, and so did the one who before him and before him and before him. And why is that important? <coughs> because the Bible says that the blood of goats does not forgive. What that does is it just sets us up to look forward to a single day. And that single day... <coughs> where the leader of God's people, you know, the leader of God's people in that day, as you see from Zechariah, you see Jesus is the coming priest. Jesus is the coming priest. And you see there that <coughs> there's, a, there's almost like this divine tribunal. <coughs> this divine tribunal is made up of Joshua, Satan, and God, and there's other times when this happens in the Bible with Job. You see Job with God talking to Satan. And so every time <clears throat> where there is God and Satan, Satan always loses. But he never gets the hint. And so he is trying to attack 
the high priest. God tells him to be quiet. <clears throat> and then we get this, chapter 3, verse 8, this branch. If you are a note-taking person, <clears throat> when you read chapter 3, verse 8 about the branch, note Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 23, 5, and Isaiah 11, 1, more about the branch. And when you think branch, think family tree and the root of the family tree leads to Christ. And so Jesus is the coming priest. We see it in the Gospels, John 19 and, and other Gospels where on the cross in one day, everything changed. Jesus is the coming priest. He will live sinlessly. Zechariah, at the end of it, in chapter 12. We see that, again, in verse 10, chapter 12, of Zechariah, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. amazing to me. I'm blown away by prophecy <clears throat> when they nail it. No pun intended, but who cannot get it that God knew what he was doing from the beginning? He's not making this up as he goes along. And so this Jesus, he will come, he will live sinlessly, he will die sacrificially, If you remember when Jesus was on the cross in Matthew 26, here's one of the, the quotes. It's from chapter 13, verse 7 of Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. <clears throat> That is, of course, quoted in Matthew 26, 31. And remember Peter. Peter was one of the scattered ones. He was close to him, and then all of a sudden, when the going got tough, it got real, he went to stepping. So here, Jesus, like the high priest... Jesus takes on the responsibility for cleansing God's people. Chapter 13, verse 1 of Zechariah. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from... Emmanuel's veins 
and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You know, a hymn sung for, oh, two or three hundred years. And I had a, a young pastor come to me, <clears throat> and he, his feathers were a little ruffled because he was against singing hymns. And, and his, his argument was, where in the Bible does it talk about a fountain filled with blood? <clears throat> and I did this, literally. When he was saying that to me, I did this. And I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I said, there's even clues in the song. A fountain. Emmanuel. Like, cross, blood. Come on, dude. I mean, if you don't like the song, say you don't like the song. But the message of the song, good night. And keep this in mind. <clears throat> were there no fountain? Were there no Emmanuel? We would all be guilty as charged and still be wearing our sin and preparing to bear its consequence. Jesus takes and took the responsibility for cleansing God's people. And, and he did that even for those who would kill him. He didn't just offer sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And, and this is one of those moments I want us to see. This is not just history in the Bible. This is us. This is our eternity playing out in their world, but also for us. So he is the coming priest, but Jesus is the coming king. <clears throat> Jesus, the coming king, chapter 6, verse 9, the word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles who gave, <clears throat> who have arrived from Babylon, go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, take the silver and gold, make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Now, here's what's interesting. It says, tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. Now, here's why this is significant. The Old Testament can be boring. I get it. But get this. <clears throat> here's where we started before. The high priest deals with killing the critters, cleansing sin from the people. So they dealt with the sacrificial system. Kings built temple, right? That's how this worked. That's how it worked for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But here, the high priest is Joshua. And what is God doing? God is putting a crown on his head and making the priest the king. Most messianic Old Testament book in the Bible. And why is that? Because he's pointing to the one who is the high priest, Jesus, and the coming king. Jesus is both. 
This is mind-blowing to those who were... This would have blown the Pharisees' mind. Those who were in the old word into we deal with this tradition, mind-blowing, because all of a sudden you take this one who's supposed to only do the sacrificial system and you make him the one who's also responsible for the temple. Jesus is the coming king, the priest who becomes king. You think God is hinting that there is coming a king? Absolutely. And when he comes, he will be righteous, he will be victorious, he will be gentle. All of these pictures in Hebrews, he will bring peace to the nations, he will possess power over all nations, And Jesus takes responsibility for ruling his people, ruling God's people. It's interesting, some things from from history about kings. I've learned this from the Bible, but also from extra-biblical history that kings, and you know this, in war, historically kings would ride on a white horse and lead the battle, lead into war. White horse, wartime. But during peace, the king would ride on a donkey. And so... Matthew, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he rides in on a donkey. And so you see, he's coming to bring peace, but he's also quite powerful. Chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. So, you hear this in Zechariah. You know, the donkey, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5, if you remember, Jesus tells his disciples to go and check with this one dude about getting the donkey. Remember, he says, go get the donkey and bring it to me. And the disciples like, what if we go and it's not there, he won't give it to us. It's like, dude, 500 years ago, God said the donkey would be there. You know, it's going to be there. And like, 
well, what if he won't give us the donkey? You know, it's like the Lord of hosts said, give us the donkey, dude. It's like, man. And so Jesus, this, the temple among God's people, and it, not only is he the king, you know, he's the priest that deals with the cleanliness of the people, that forgives sin, <clears throat> but he's the temple. And the temple, in this, Jesus reveals the presence of God. Just as the temple in the Old Testament advertises the presence of God to the nations, here it is, the temple among God's people. Jesus reveals the presence of God. He embodies God's dwelling with his people, like we are the temple, and the God of the universe lives in us, as nuts as that is. But in that, Jesus fulfills the promises of God. You know, he proves God's faithfulness to his people. He lives this out. And he brings the peace of God. Remember his baptism? <clears throat> when I was baptized, this did not happen. But he goes down into the water, and God speaks, and a dove appears. You know, I remember when I was baptized, I was a little scrawny dude, <clears throat> and my feet floated. So when I went down, my head went under, and both of my feet came up, and the congregation laughed. That's what I remember at my baptism. There are some funny baptisms. Dude, I remember Joseph. I got to tell the story, dude. When Joseph was baptized, <clears throat> Joseph was a young guy, and Joseph was like me, he was just a little dude, little dude. And so we had a baptistry, the baptistry was, I was wearing waders, right? And so this, the water was this tall, well Joseph was probably like this tall. And so he was in the water, baptized, it was easy to baptize him because all you have to do is like, boop, and he's under. But, but then he tries to leave, and you know, people are looking, you know? And he tries to leave, and he couldn't go, and he's trying to move, and so he just, like, jumps up and just starts swimming. It was awesome. Anyway, still not as memorable as when Jesus was baptized. The peace of God, the dove, and how God sent Christ to bring peace. He accomplishes the purpose of God. The purpose of God bring glory to himself, to have this people who will honor him, live for him, and worship him. And so, then you have where we started, the word to God's people. The word to God's people, Jesus, <clears throat> the first things he says to the people, the first thing God says here to Haggai, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. 
what we need to hear in this country. Repent. Not just be nice. Not just be united. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, Matthew 4, 17 tells us to flee from your sin. Flee. You know, think about this scenario. <clears throat> if your parents were calling you, you're out playing in the backyard, <clears throat> and they were calling you to the house, and you know the tone of their voice, and you know they were calling you because you did not finish cleaning up your room before you went outside to play. When they called you, how would you go inside? It's like, <sighs> but if they were calling you to tell you that the birthday cake is ready, how would you go? That's flee, flee. That is the way we should be running from our sin, right? Like a kid's running for birthday cake, we are to run away from our sin. Flee from your sin. And why should we do that just like we were in the beginning, <clears throat> in the fear of God's holiness? As we talked about today in Sunday school from Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? We have the look in the Word. We see the Lord, and He saw <clears throat> where His robe filled the temple, right? And seraphs, these angelic beings, they are, the term means the burning ones. Six wings. So we just saw the Lord. And then these burning ones who are with the Lord, because of the holiness of God, they're covering their faces, they're covering their feet, and then they're flying. And so he sees the Lord, and what is his response? I believe today's response would be if, if the Lord appeared, people would first want to go, Dude, my Twitter account is going to be on fire. The truth of God's word is if we see the Lord, we're going to respond just like he did. Woe is me. It's like, dude, I'm done. I am cooked. He is here. He is holy. And I am sinful. I am about to get fried. And so we run from our sin in the fear of God's holiness, just the Isaiah picture, run from our sin because God is going to punish the sin. But then we're able to run from the sin just like the kid who was running inside for the birthday cake. He would never have known or she would have never known there's a birthday cake had the father not called, right? We flee from our sin by the power of God's Spirit. He tells us. He tells us. He indwells us. He lives in us and enables us to see our sin, to see his holiness, to run from it. And so flee from your sin and finally follow after your Savior. 
know there's in following after the Savior, it's for the advancement of God's kingdom. This is what we are here for, to build his kingdom. There's no need to build a temple. We're building a kingdom. We don't need to build a temple because he built one and he called it us. <clears throat> but just like in the Old Testament, the temple was only awesome because God was there. <clears throat> and we, the only reason we have any value, any eternal significance at all, is because God is there. And so hear this, Americans. Hear this, believers. <clears throat> there is the Spirit of the living God alive in you. If he is alive in you, there should be a burning difference between what you put out in this world and the garbage that is out in this world. We must be different. We must look different. We must speak differently. We must respond to those who do not have the Spirit of God in them. We must respond to them differently and allow us to have this mindset. As we go through the Bible, we, have, we will have, if not now, an overarching view of God's work in this world, right? What his purpose is, why we are here, what we are doing. And so if we have that same perspective of this world, why this earth is here, why this country was founded, and what we are about, it will change our responses on Facebook. It will define our votes in November. It will change the conversation over the fence with the neighbor and the guys at work, it will make a difference. When we hear, I mean, you think about it. As I read this, man, this country, Israel, they once knew God and was close to him. They knew his word. They knew of his holiness and his promises and, and even shouted that we are what we are because God. And I think about us. We are a country that was real close to him in the past and, and knew of his word and knew of his promises and knew that we were blessed because of, of him and even in God we trust and we are <clears throat> this nation because God has blessed us and then all of a sudden the less we are looking like God the less we're looking like a blessed nation and I can imagine God saying to us guys do you see that like hurricane season and we're going to run out of the alphabet have you seen that like the west is on fire have you seen that people are, like, dying from the flu? Anybody getting this? It's like God's going, guys, you're spending this time fixing up your houses. Your houses are doing great, but your houses are going to burn. 
What are we spending our lives on when his temple is in ruins? What if we allowed the Holy Spirit within us to not be engaged in our lives for 15 years and the whole time we're focusing on other stuff. For some, it perhaps has been longer than 15 years. But I want to lean on God's word and call us to repent and to follow the Savior. Turn. And allow the Holy Spirit in us to show us what sin is. When we get to define sin, then there's not a whole lot for us to repent from, right? But when the Holy Spirit of God, who is perfect, who is alive within us, tells us, you know, yeah, you're, you might be better, you have better character than those in your workspace, but you're not holy. You need to repent. And so let us do what Haggai said, what Zechariah said, and what Jesus said. Repent from your sin and the fear of God's holiness by the power of the Spirit in us and follow after our Savior for the advancement of God's kingdom. Not ours, but God's kingdom. Let us recognize and watch what he does. Amen? I'm going to be quiet and pray but then we have an opportunity to to respond and how will we respond to this and if we don't respond is it one more day is it one more week where the temple within us is left in ruins let us respond today to what God is doing and saying right now and I will be here at the front if you need someone to talk to but if God is leading you, run like the kid answering the call of his father for the birthday cake and be born again, new birth, as we follow after Christ. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father, we come to you knowing that your word is true. We hear it. We see it in practice throughout the history that's given us in the Bible. And yet sometimes we stink so bad at obeying it. And we need a way to be reminded of where we fail. We need an attention getter. And whether it's a, it's a pandemic, whether it's a forest fire, if it's a hurricane, if it's... If it's more personal than that. God, I pray that you would do whatever you need to do to bring your people back to you. Because even if this country is burned to the ground and it causes us to return to you, how much more eternally profitable it is than if we're blessed and run from you. Lord, I pray for our country. 
Lord, we know that this country is diving deep and doing so very quickly. They're running from you. They're turning their backs on you. But Lord, we as a country, we have been focused on our own houses for so long and left yours in ruin. Lord, I thank you for your grace in giving second and third chances. Lord, I praise you that you have even allowed us to wake up and to see how far we have fallen. God, just as your word calls your people back, I pray that today that you call us back to you. I pray that there's a way that this country hears your word that your spirit awakens us to return to you. And Lord, whether it happens with Franklin Graham on the 26th or whether it happens in in thousands and thousands of individual homes, God, it will not happen without your spirit. It will not happen without your power. So God, I pray that you would call us back. Lord, help us to do what we are called to do even today that maybe today we're not going to turn the world in one day but we can open our hearts to what you want to do in us in one day and so Lord cleanse us from sin help us to repent and show us what we need to be doing and not doing to honor you and build your kingdom Lord be embedded in our response to you today we pray this in Christ's name Amen